It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. May God's love be with each and every one of you. If you have a Bible handy, please open to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And there we will find our sermon text for this evening. I don't know about the rest of you, but the past few days have been an emotional roller coaster ride for me. There were new worship experiences, there were hospital visits and car troubles, a wedding, and something that felt an awful lot like a funeral. Lots of tears, lots of laughter, missed deadlines, canceled meetings, unexpected news, both good and bad, and other ordained moments. All of that to say that I am glad that that week is over and that I get to be with you on this Lord's Day. Here in this room, we find in the Lord our refuge and our strength, and we find it together in the gospel. So if you had a week like mine, or perhaps even worse than mine, well, I have some good news for you this evening. And if you hang in there for the next half hour, you're going to hear some really good news. But first, we have to go through some very difficult news before we get to the good news. I want us to pick up the storyline where we left off last week. You remember in our uh, story from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, that we entered into the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. And we're going to spend the next several weeks in that upper room with them. And one of the things we're going to see is that in this upper room, Jesus teaches his disciples things that they will need to know and believe and do in their life and ministry long after he has been crucified, resurrected, and ascended into glory. So everything that happens from now, chapter 13 to chapter 17, that is from now until Thanksgiving for us, will take place in one room on the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified. The things that Jesus taught his disciples in that upper room on that night are things that we also need as well. And so I urge you with all of your hearts to pay close attention to the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this section of Scripture. Our sermon text for this evening is John 13, 21 to 38. If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand and listen to the Word of God with all of your heart. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to him. So Simon motioned to him and asked him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus, Judas had the money back, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. That is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word, and all the church says, you may be seated. Well, the first thing I want you to know in this story is that the mood in the room had changed from tense to somber. It was night. Darkness was beginning to creep into the upper room. The light was only going to be with the disciples for a little while longer. The darkness was about to come in and overtake some of the disciples. It was the night of the last Passover. And like the night of the first Passover, God's people had gathered in this house in an upper room with their lamb seated around the table in order to eat a holy meal. And like their forefathers, they had passed through the water and they were going to enter into a wilderness. And the firstborn would soon lose his life. The flesh of the world was going to be abused, beaten, crushed, and destroyed for the life of the world. Well, after Jesus washed his disciples' feet and spoke about all of these things, his spirit was stirred up inside him again, just as it was stirred up before. His life and his ministry were reaching critical mass and he could feel things unraveling deep down in his soul. Jesus knew those whom the Father had given him, those whom he had chosen. He knew which ones would receive him and which ones would reject him. Last week we learned that we are called to treat one another as Jesus treats us with love and service. But we also learn that no matter how well we love one another, no matter how well we serve one another, there will always be mixed results, as we see in Jesus' ministry. In this story, we see the love of Jesus received by all of the disciples, including Peter and Judas. And then later on in the story, we see that that same love was betrayed by Judas and then denied by Peter. And it's these stories of Judas and Peter that raise all kinds of hard questions about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Hard questions about the liberty of God and the dignity of man. And that is part of what I want us to consider today in this story. Now, I'm fully aware that these are difficult 
These are hard teachings. And I realize that not everyone has a palate for hard truths or a stomach for hard truths. And I know that as soon as some of you hear these things, you are going to crunch on these hard teachings. You are going to choke on these hard teachings. Nevertheless, Jesus insisted that everyone who is on the side of truth listens to him. So some of what you are about to hear will be hard for you to hear, just as it is hard for me to say. But it all must be said and it all must be heard because this is what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in the Word of God. As we enter into this hard teaching, I want you to hear what St. Augustine said to God's people many, many years ago. He said, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. So like it or not, we must deal with even hard teachings and ask hard questions and accept the hard answers. And with the help of God's grace, that is what we will do this evening. Now, with all of that in mind, let's enter into the story. Let's go back to the upper room and let's enter the story as humbly and meekly as we are able. Judas and Peter have a lot in common with each other. And they have a lot in common with us. Both were called by Jesus to serve as disciples and apostles. Both men followed Jesus for three years. Both saw Jesus turn water into wine, cleanse the temple, heal the sick, feed thousands, walk on water, open the eyes of the blind, even raise a dead man back to life. Both of these men were taught by Jesus and even trained to teach and preach the gospel. Even trained to love and serve others. Both Peter and Judas were exposed to God in the flesh. Both men were enlightened to the grace and truth of Jesus. They tasted the heavenly gift. They shared an experience in the Holy Spirit. They tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the kingdom. Both men were washed by Jesus in the upper room and they ate and drank with Him at the last Passover meal. More than likely, if you and I had known Peter and Judas, if they were members of our congregation, we would have treated them as true brothers in Christ. We would have treated them as real disciples and true followers of Jesus. In other words, we would have seen them the way we see one another, perhaps even the way we see ourselves. I know that part of the story is hard for us to imagine because we know the end of the story. But suspend that for just a moment and think about what we know about Peter and Judas just up to this part of John's gospel. They seem to be likable guys. They seem to be guys like us with all of their frailties and weaknesses. They seem to be truly and really a part of Jesus's community. Now, if you're having a hard time thinking of Judas as a true disciple or thinking of Peter as a true disciple at this point, think about how gracious and generous you are with each other. 
You see, as much as we try to be discerning in life, the truth is that we often unwittingly treat even counterfeit disciples as the real thing. And we do it all the time. Not because we're rotten and bad people or lack judgment. It's because we are prone to give the benefit of doubt to one another. And we do it all the time because there is only so much we can know about each other. We are finite. We are limited in what we can see and know. And as human beings, all we can do is judge by appearances. God alone judges the hearts. So Judas and Peter have a lot in common and they look a lot like we do. But it's not what they have in common that troubles us. It's not what they have in common that matters in the story. It's where they differ that makes all the difference. In this story, John has told us that Jesus is the ultimate knower. Throughout John 13, John the Evangelist is telling us all the things Jesus knows. Jesus is the knower. And in this story, Jesus knows that Peter and Judas were each going to fall away from him in their own distinct ways. Despite the fact that both men had, in our language, a personal relationship with Jesus. As we're going to see in weeks to come, when Judas falls away from Jesus, he will fall into the hands of the devil and be destroyed. When Peter falls away from Jesus, he will fall into the hands of God the Father and he will be delivered. But at this point in the story, the only person in the room who knows this is Jesus. Jesus knew all these things about both of these men. And he knew all the truth about their stories when he washed their feet and when he broke bread and he passed the cup to them. But it was night. And Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And that's why he took the morsel of bread and dipped it in the oil and vinegar and gave it to Judas and said, what you are going to do, do quickly. It was night and Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times in spite of Peter's bravado. Jesus knew that Peter was never going to lay down his life for him. In fact, Jesus knew the opposite, that it was Jesus who was going to lay down his life for Peter. But it was night and Jesus knew that darkness was beginning to creep into the upper room and the light was only going to be with them for a little while longer. Darkness was about to overtake some of his disciples, including Peter and Judas. It was night and not everyone sees well at night and things are murky and unclear. And still, Jesus loved his disciples even to the end of the world. One. Because Jesus knew that somehow God would use Judas's betrayal and that somehow God would use Peter's denial for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of the world. And that is why after Judas left, Jesus says, 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Which is a very fancy way of saying God draws straight lines with crooked sticks like Judas and Peter. Like you and like me. God draws straight lines even with the crooked cross. And it's the cross where God will glorify Jesus, His Son, at once. The cross is the place where Jesus is going and His followers cannot come. In fact, He is emphatic. You are not able to come. You don't have the capacity to come. Jesus will go to the cross alone. And Jesus will lay down His life for His chosen people alone. And all of that brings us to the heart of this story. And when I say the heart, I mean the literal heart of this story. When Judas goes out to do his thing, Jesus turns to the rest of the, of the disciples and says, Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know why I never saw this before. I'm blind and deaf in many ways when I read the Bible. And sometimes break, light breaks through the darkness and I see something new that I should have seen before. And that happened to me in reading this text. It struck me this week that it is no accident that this teaching on love stands between the news of Judas's betrayal and the news of Peter's denial. Why? It was night, but Jesus knew all that was about to unfold that night, and He wanted His disciples to know what to do in the aftermath of all that was about to unfold. So when Judas betrays Jesus, and Peter denies Jesus, and the disciples are in disarray, and chaos breaks out, Jesus does not want His disciples pointing the finger at each other and blaming each other for this mess. Love one another. One of you will betray me. Love one another. One of you will deny me. Love one another. And this is where the teaching on the love of God, love of God in Christ becomes extremely difficult and practical. In this context, the command to love one another is a command to love those who betray you, those who turn against you, those who seek to harm you. Love one another, even them. In this context, the command to love one another is a command to love even those who deny the Lord for self-preservation or for some other motive. You're commanded to love even the denier. And that's where the love of God in Christ becomes so extremely difficult for us to practice. 
You can all point to people in, their, in your life who have denied you, betrayed you, hurt you in some way. You still carry that pain. You still carry that memory. You still carry that with you. What are you to do with it? Jesus says you are to love one another as I have loved you. Now, some commentators will take this and they say, oh, this means that we are to lay down our lives for each other. We are to sacrifice ourselves for each other. And some people will say, amen, because they know that what are the chances that I'm ever going to have to die for any of you people anyway? That's easy. Amen, Jesus. But what if it's the other way? And Jesus says, no, this isn't about you sacrificing your life for one another. It's about you living for each other, serving one another. Much more difficult to live for someone than to die for them, at least in my imagination. Now look at this command. Let's go down line by line and see who must love and how shall we love and why should we love like this? Jesus says, little children. In other words, everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a family member in God's household must live by this rule. This is the rule that governs all of the other rules of the household. If you're a child in God's household, you are expected to love your brother and your sister as Jesus, your brother, loved you. The old commandment from the law says... Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a good law. We should pursue it and practice it. It is great as far as it goes. But notice that the new commandment goes even farther. The new commandment says, love one another as Christ loved you. This is a true and better law, not only because it is interpersonal between us siblings, it is a true and better law because it is rooted and grounded in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So how shall we live? How shall we love? Well, Jesus is the standard. We must love one another as Jesus Christ loved us. To love one another as Jesus loves us means we must imitate Jesus in our love. Imitate Jesus in humbly serving one another. In giving ourselves to one another. In telling the truth to one another. In sharing our life with one another. In bearing with one another. And forgiving one another from the heart. It also means that we must love and serve both Friends and enemies without showing partiality or favoritism as Jesus did. See, so do you see, do you feel how taxing this is, how costly it is? What the Lord requires of us. Why should we love like this? Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my followers. You are my disciples, students, servants. To put it in our categories, we would say this is the most missional thing we can do. All of my ministry life, every five years or so, there's like a new evangelism, new church growth model, new way of 
reaching the world with the gospel, new way of, of making the gospel accessible to people, new way of being relevant to the culture around us. And the thing that gets overlooked year after year after year, in my, granted, in my limited experience, the thing that gets overlooked is what Jesus says here. This is the ultimate mission strategy. This is the only mission strategy established by Jesus and made effectual by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus did not say, all people will know you are my disciples if you have an awesome liturgical order. Or loads of money. Or light kits and loud music or lots of exciting activities for every single person under heaven. Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another enough to take off the robes of your power and glory and tie on the apron of weakness and shame. What is the mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ? Rock solid theology. That's not what he said. Programs and activities. That's not what he said. The mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ is practical, hands-on love for one another. As the late Francis Schaeffer so passionately declared in his generation, love is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. It is only with this mark that the world may know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. But this kind of love that Jesus commands is a self-denying, self-sacrificing kind of love. This kind of love is cross-shaped and Christ-centered. This kind of love costs you and me nothing but our pride and everything we have. This kind of love shows the world, Jews and Greeks and even Texans, whether we are truly followers of Jesus Christ or not. But here's the rub. Here's the trouble. The trouble is that you and I stumble and fail in so many different ways. Like Judas and like Peter, we stumble and fail in many ways. Judas betrayed Jesus' love. Peter denied Jesus' love. And we do the same things. Think about it. Just like them, we get caught in the crossfire between the love of God and the love of the world. We're caught between the horses of love and lust, and then we're trampled underfoot. There's not a day that goes by that we do not betray Jesus' love or deny His love in some way, big or small. All churches... All communities, all congregations of God's people have Judases and Peters in their midst. I would venture to say that all of us have a little bit of Judas or a little bit of Peter inside of us. 
All churches have Judas Iscariot who outwardly show concern for the poor, and yet inwardly they really only care about themselves. Judases who love raking in bread more than receiving the bread, who love cash more than Christ and silver more than the Savior. They lust for the luxuries of life over the love of Christ. They would rather walk in the darkness with their pockets full than walk in the light empty-handed. Is it you? Who is it, Lord? All churches have Simon Peters who boast and brag about all of the things they are going to do for Jesus. And yet they fail to keep their word and follow through. They like to play hide and seek with their faith in Christ because they're ashamed and they're afraid of men. They follow Jesus in private and yet they pretend that they don't know him in public. They really want to walk in the light. And yet they find themselves often tripping and failing in the darkness. Is it you? Who is it, Lord? There's not a person among us who has not betrayed or not denied the love of Jesus Christ at some point in our own personal life. There's not a person among us this evening who has not been overtaken by darkness at some point in life. There's not a person among us whose heart has never felt anguish and turmoil, whose spirit has never been troubled. There's not a person among us who has not been tempted by something in this world to lead us away from Christ, who has felt the pressure in life to deny that we know Jesus. We can relate to these people. We can relate to Judas and Peter. We know what it's like to be in their shoes. And this is precisely why we need the love of Christ. This is precisely why we need to love one another as Christ loved us. As we look around the room this evening, if we glanced around or had the courage to turn our heads and look at other people, we would know in looking at each other that we've let some of these people down. We've failed them at some point. They've failed us at some point. We're broken. We're frail. We haven't done everything we should do. We haven't loved each other in all the ways that we could, even though we make efforts at it. But we do love each other. We're pointed in the right direction, and yet we're stumbling towards ecstasy, right? We look around the room and we know there are people who have betrayed Christ or denied him. And yet here they are with us. Why? What gives them the right to be here? Who do they think they are? It's Christ who's given them the right to be here. You're exactly where you should be. You're with Christ and his people. Why are we here? Why are we here if we've got a little bit of Judas Iscariot in us? Or if we've got a little bit of Simon Peter in us? Why are we here? Because by God's grace, we know enough to know that we need to be washed and we need to be fed and we need to be counseled in the love of Jesus Christ. We know enough to know that we need to be forgiven. We need to be accepted. We need to be restored in the love of Christ. 
We need someone. Let me scratch that. Not just someone. We need each other. We need these people right here to rub our sore feet, to hug our stiff necks, to wipe our teary eyes. We need someone to tell us that we are loved and we are accepted and we belong here in Christ, that we are at home. And it's almost night. And when night comes, all of these things won't be as clear to us. We'll be left alone with our thoughts, our anxieties, our fears. We'll wonder how much Judas is in us, how much Peter is in us, how much are we really like them? Are we like them at all? Is there any John in us? Is there any, you're the disciple Jesus loves in us? And the answer is yes. You are the disciple Jesus loves. And you are the disciple he loves enough to say, you need to come to this table and you need to eat and drink grace into your life. Yes, you're a mess. Yes, you're broken. You're frail. You don't have it together. Welcome to the church of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let us remember that Jesus loves us without partiality, without favoritism. He loves you with an undying and an unfailing love. And that means that he will never betray you and he will never deny you. That is the power and the glory of of the love of Jesus Christ. In this story, Jesus is the true and better servant host who is merciful and gracious to sinners like us, who spreads a table before us even in the presence of our enemies, who washes our broken hearts and our dirty feet, who refreshes our fearful and troubled souls, who makes our cup overflow, who gladdens our hearts with new wine, who chases after us with goodness and steadfast love all the days of our lives and even prepares a place for us in His Father's house that we may dwell in His presence forever. And that's the good news. It's good news for you and for me. In a nutshell, the good news is that Jesus Christ loves you warts and all, failings and all, brokenness and all. And he lives for you, lays down his life for you in his love for you.